Let's pray. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we continue our sermon series this morning on the book of Jonah. Today we come to Jonah chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Listen for God's word to us. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and everyone great and small put on sackcloth when the news Reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish." When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, my brother Chris and I grew up loving albums. We had a big collection of both vinyl records and cassettes, and to this day we'll recommend albums to each other to check out on Spotify. Well, some of the albums I most enjoyed growing up were those that had a unifying theme. I liked the album Daylight Again by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. The lush harmonies seemed to bring me to some place I'd never been before. Many of the songs were about taking a journey like Southern Cross, which spoke of traveling by ship to places like Papa Ete and the Marquesas. The album's cover art evoked this notion of being transported to a faraway land. Then there was that most famous of rock concept albums, Pink Floyd's The Wall. The songs in that album tell the story of a person's ever-increasing isolation from society. Well, just last month, Chris alerted me that Rolling Stone magazine had come up with a brand new list of the 500 best albums of all time. So, of course, I had to check it out. And I naturally looked for the album that had gotten the number one spot, and not surprisingly, it was a concept album. It's often called the first soul concept album. It's Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Marvin Gaye was a well-established artist for Motown Records by the time this album was made. But Gaye was tired of singing love songs. He wanted to tackle weightier material. And then a singer for the Four Tops brought Gay a song. The song was called, What's Going On? The singer had written it after watching TV coverage of hundreds of club-wielding police officers breaking up a peaceful protest against the Vietnam War. 
Marvin Gaye liked the song and recorded it with Motown Records. It was released as a single and became a huge hit. Motown then asked Gaye for a whole album, and a concept emerged in Marvin Gaye's mind for such a record. His own brother had recently returned from serving in Vietnam, and Gaye imagined a Vietnam veteran returning from war and surveying problems in the United States. Lost lives to the war, unemployment, drug addiction, children growing up in poverty, pollution, and the ecological crisis. And so Gay made an album where each song addressed one of those social issues, but the album contains songs of faith as well. Two of the songs speak of God's work in the world, of forgiveness of sins, and of Jesus Christ and his promise to come again. It was an album that spoke of social problems, but also of God's power to bring about change. What's Going On became Gay's first album to reach the top 10, and it sold more than 2 million copies over the next year, and more than just impacting music, What's Going On changed popular opinion about the Vietnam War, urban poverty, and ecology. Sometimes one song or one album can do that. It can change a city, even a nation. Well, in today's passage, we read of a time a few words spoken by an ancient Jewish prophet in the city of Nineveh changed public opinion. A few words, like a song or an album, can do that. Chapter 3 of Jonah shows us how a whole city can change with a single song or a one-sentence message from a prophet. Now, back in chapter 2, we looked at how a person could change by the power of God at work in them. We looked at Jonah in the belly of the whale. At the start of the morning service last Sunday, I asked Chris Sladoff if he would consider sculpting Jonah as we read about him in chapter 2. By the end of that service, this is what Chris had come up with. And I love how this piece shows the movement we see in Jonah's life. Back in chapter 1, Jonah was a prophet who was running from God and God's call. But at the end of that chapter, we read of how Jonah was swallowed up by a giant fish, which Chris depicts with the whale on the left. And in the belly of that fish, we read in chapter 2, this prophet who had fled from God starts to pray to God. Jonah speaks of God delivering him from out of the pit. It's like the prophet has been transformed, his relationship to God made new. And by the time Jonah is spewed out by the fish, it's like he is reborn. Chris depicts that moment with Jonah coming out of the whale on the right. But if chapter 2 is about personal transformation, then chapter 3 is about social change. For in chapter 3, we read not about an individual heart transformed, but of how God can change a whole city. As chapter 3 begins, God calls Jonah a second time to go to that great Assyrian city of Nineveh to call them to repentance. Now, what was the sin in Nineveh that meant they had to repent? Well, Nineveh was an ancient capital of the Assyrian Empire, and Assyria, like so many empires, ancient and modern, was prone to carrying out acts of terrible violence on other nations and peoples. Assyria had invaded and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 BCE. 
Assyrian kings like Sennacherib captured cities in the southern kingdom of Judah as well. They brought citizens of Israel and Judah into captivity. Here is an ancient depiction of Assyrian soldiers whipping men from Judah. Assyria was guilty of awful violence in foreign lands like Jonah's home in Israel and Judah. Well, God gives Jonah a message to speak to Nineveh, to call them to change, to turn from their evil ways. It's like Jonah's given a song to sing in the street, a song like, What's Going On? It was a song to alert people to how bad things really were. Jonah's song went like this. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's a short song, a short prophetic utterance, one of the shortest we have in Scripture. It's only five words long in the original Hebrew, but this message from Jonah packs a punch. The word for overthrow can have two meanings. The word overthrow or hapak in the original Hebrew can indicate destruction. But in other texts of scripture, overthrow or hapak means deliverance. So is Jonah preaching that Nineveh will be destroyed or that Nineveh will be delivered? Perhaps the song invites the listeners of Nineveh to choose. Maybe Jonah is saying, Nineveh, in 40 days, some kind of haypox, some kind of overthrowing is coming. So which will it be? Destruction or deliverance? Jonah's song in Nineveh begs that question of the ancient city. Well, this prophecy of Jonah becomes a big hit. It makes the top 10 list. It goes viral. It even reaches the king's ear and remarkable things happen. This five-word song, this briefest of prophetic utterances, changes of people. We read how not only the citizens, but even the animals fast and put on sackcloth, classic actions of repentance. By including animals in this fast and sackcloth-wearing ritual, the writer of Jonah makes it clear the whole city, every part of it, was called to repentance. This was an all-inclusive call to turn from evil and violence. The actions of the citizens and animals of Nineveh make it clear by God's power, by God's word, not just a few individuals, but a whole city, animals, and all can change. Well, then as chapter 3 comes to an end, we learn not only did the people of Nineveh change, but as a result of their repentance, God changed God's mind. Now, in our hymns, we will often sing of God's unchanging nature. In great is thy faithfulness, we sing, thou changest not. Qualities of God like justice, mercy, faithfulness, and love, we believe, are unchanging. But we still read in Scripture of times God threatens the destruction of cities like Nineveh. But sometimes when people turn from sin, turn to God in faith, God seems to change a previously announced plan for destruction and choose mercy instead. And this is what happens to Nineveh. The people are told by Jonah, 40 days more and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people choose not the overthrow of destruction, they choose the overthrow of deliverance. 
with God. We see in the book of Jonah, real change is possible. Change in the heart, change in a whole city with God. Real change is possible. Well, back in April of 2002, I had the opportunity to visit Greensboro, North Carolina for a conference, and there I learned how a city like Greensboro can change by the power of God at work in the world. While at the conference, I joined a tour led by the Reverend Nelson Johnson, a pastor in Greensboro. Johnson brought us to a Woolworth store in that city. And there, back in January of 1960, there was a lunch counter reserved for whites only. Segregation was the law of the land, and many thought those laws might never change in early 1960. But then on February 1st of that year, four black students from North Carolina Agricultural and Technical College went into that Woolworths, and they sat at the lunch counter reserved for whites. The store would not serve them, and when they refused to leave, the police were called, but they did not make any arrests, for the media were there too. Four days later, 300 other students had joined the protest. By the next month, this tiny action, four college students sitting at a lunch counter had sparked a movement that had spread to 55 cities and 13 states. By July that year, the Greensboro Woolworths and a host of other businesses around the South had abolished segregation policies. One small act can change a city, even a nation. Nelson Johnson then took us to the beloved community center when we saw statues remembering those four black students and their sit-in strike. The beloved community center had been started by Nelson, some local African-American community members, and by a couple white Presbyterian pastors. And it was created as a hub for faith-based community organizing efforts, like a living wage campaign, and they also provided services to the homeless. And they hoped those efforts at loving their neighbor might be a kind of song, a song that would call the whole city to address homelessness and poverty. Finally, Nelson Johnson brought us to a cemetery and showed us the names of those who'd been killed in the 1979 Greensboro Massacre. Johnson was there when it happened on November 3, 1979. He and other community organizers had planned a peaceful demonstration bringing together black and white workers in a common effort. They'd received a permit from the city to hold the rally. But then a caravan of nine cars carrying Ku Klux Klan and American Nazi party members arrived. They opened fire, killing five organizers. Four television crews captured the event on film, but the perpetrators were still acquitted by an all-white juries in two separate trials. It was later brought to light that the Greensboro police had known about the planned attack and allowed it to happen. Nelson survived and 25 years later decided to speak to Greensboro and call that great city to repentance. The city had never apologized for the 1979 Klan massacre or how the mayor had blamed Johnson and the community organizers for what took place. And so Johnson started the first Truth and Reconciliation Commission in the United States, patterned after the one Nelson Mandela led in South Africa. The commission invited testimonies to be shared, evidence to be presented, perpetrators to confess if they chose, and reconciliation to occur. The effort garnered international attention. Desmond Tutu visited to lend its support, and it produced a 529-page report. 
Now, not all the changes called for in the report were made by the city of Greensboro, not even close, but no question that the commission in its report had made a statement reverberating around the city and even the world. Now, Johnson is a Christian, and so he believes we walk by faith and not by sight. And so it is he believes by God's power that individual hearts can come to know Jesus Christ. It's also by God's power at work in prophetic actions that a whole city can change, even his beloved home of Greensboro. This Reformation Sunday, we remember how back in the 16th century, a message that could be summed up in just a few words, Scripture alone, faith alone. It was a message shouted in the streets, and it became a big hit. It went viral. The message spread until the church in nations like Germany, France, Switzerland, Scotland, and England, they'd undergone enormous change, Reformation Sunday. Today, we remember the church spread around the world can change, really change, by the power of God at work in us, by the power of God's Word. So when you wonder if it's worth trying to share faith in an increasingly secular day, remember Jonah. Remember that with God, real change is possible. When you wonder if you should bother to vote this election season and whether one person's vote really matters, remember Jonah. Remember how just five words change to people. When you wonder if you should give up on that person you disagree with so vehemently or when you're tempted to give up on your church as it falls short of all you know it can be, or when you're tempted to give up on your city or your country or when you're tempted to give up on yourself, remember Jonah. Remember that a person can change as Jonah did in the giant fish. Remember, a whole city can change as Nineveh did by the power of God. And remember, that Savior who came that you and me and all the world might be transformed by God's love for us in Christ. Remember that with God, that God we saw face to face in Jesus Christ, real change is possible today. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.